Hello and welcome to the last HSJ Health Check podcast of the year. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Henry Anderson, Nick Carding and Dave West. As long-time listeners will know, on this festive episode, I gather a cast of HSJ journalists to give their top predictions for next year and reflect a little on the year in news just gone. Nick and Dave, you're veterans of our festive special, but it's a first time for you, Henry, so everything to play for. Um, As our finance correspondent, I think it's fair to say there's been a lot going on for the NHS in 2023. Yes, I think think that would be a fair assessment. Um, It's been a, this is, is not really a prediction because it seems to be a statement of the obvious, but I think we've sort of had a year of financial chaos in 2023. Um, you know, in, in brief terms, a very drawn out planning process, uh, a lot of places falling into deficit and then a sort of bailout and a complete rejigging of the kind of NHS's priorities a few weeks ago. Um, and I think that will continue into 2024. Um, I don't think there's any hope um, that suddenly NHS financial planning will get more realistic. Um, potentially on the contrary, I think that the kind of pressures that the wider NHS, the NHS England kind of group is under in terms of the government uh, sort of passing on unfunded commitments like pay deals. I think actually it might be even worse in 2024. Um, So that's a nice cheery one to start on. Very good. All right. What else have you got for us, Henry? Yeah. So so this is where we start to get more more controversial. Um, So so my my first prediction is that by the end of uh, 2024, virtually half of NHS Trust will have a shared chair or CEO. Um, so we I am your NHS England style uh, virtually target there. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, we're taking the same approach in that the actual kind of end of 2024 is fairly flexible and could actually sort of stretch into 2025 in terms of the target being met. Um, sort of akin to the way that the 104 week waiter target was met um but anyway yeah i think that it's actually an interesting trend and i believe um i'm told by the hsj elves that there is some research forthcoming on uh, shared chairs and ceos in the nhs dave i don't know if you want to talk a bit more about that um but that's I right think... we've tr- yeah we've tracked this um on on the podcast there's been a few few podcasts this year i think about mm. the, the trend to shared leadership and consolidation of trust uh leadership and and and, and sometimes move into merger and acquisition altogether a little a very little talked about trend in in sort of health policy in general for one reason or another seems to be a sort of uh, you know, secret but highly significant um, change in how the NHS is managed, really, and we will. The latest figures show it's about um, about a third of, of of trusts now have a shared chair or chief executive. Though every day there's a new uh, one one in or, or one out that that moves the numbers, and we will publish some more um, analysis that we've been working on in the in the new year about that. But what what were you gonna? I've got some thoughts around around that, Henry. But what were you gonna add? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, um, I think th- there are a lot of reasons why I think it actually makes sense, right? Because you probably have a lot of trusts that, um, you know, should be working together more closely. Um, and I sort of get the sense that this solution has been arrived at as a way to get the benefits of kind of merging um, without going through all the pain of a merger, um, which, you know, often you know, the NHS, I think, historically has kind of loved to do is just sort of change organisational names and, and stuff like that and then sort of reshuffle the, um, 
you know, reshuffle the, the kind of offices and, and whatnot. But even though it's the same people, but you kind of get all this disruption and, and, and sort of become bogged down in it. So I think it, you know, it makes sense um, to kind of start to realise those those benefits in a, a sort of less disruptive way, which is by sharing the chair, sharing the CEO. My um, sort of prediction or comment around that for 2024 um was going to be with this rapid move to shared leadership, um, especially in the latest one we've seen. I think um, Nick possibly mentioned it just the other week, the, the possibility of this happening in Bristol, and it is indeed since then. Um, uh, since we mentioned it on the podcast, they have moved to you know both pretty big trusts in in Bristol, uh, moving to to shared leadership. Uh, but the the other other examples as well. So if this continues, and there is also a lot of ongoing frenzied activity about what's called provider collaboratives, which is a bit different to just sharing, just a bit different to sharing leadership. Often more woolly and vague, but there's a lot of a lot of discussion about that going on still. Many providers um, and with their integrated care boards kind of working through. Um, the desire to be in more collaboratives and what they're trying to do but i think the big thing is is, is, is 2024 going to see more definition about what the point of it actually is because there are there are certainly are things you can achieve by pushing them uh organizations together and they're particularly if they've got shared top leadership then they can make decisions more quickly and make changes more quickly although you know many listeners would equally say there are massive risks and and um downsides of all this as well you know look at university hospitals birmingham look at previously barts look at university hospitals sussex problems that like consolidation doesn't necessarily go smoothly or make things work well um, but there are possible benefits but the policy because i mean partly because like we say nobody really wants to talk about it um or write a document about saying this is what we're trying to do here um in in the nhs with this change it's very woolly about about what benefits it's meant to bring. So, you know, is are we talking about reconfiguring services because of joint leadership that's going to be let easier for a trust to force through um, or a single um, chair or chief, exec- chief executive to force through, um, you know, closure of some services, centralisation, they might run more smoothly or they might not. Um, are we talking about um, sharing staff or sharing waiting lists, something that, um, you know, Labour is, is seems to be pretty interested in, in you know when they talk about choice what they all actually seem to be talking about is forcing is, is is restricting choice to to shared waiting lists within a given um provider or within a given system which is um which is another thing you can do to try and improve productivity uh elective productivity force trusts to share their lists and share their staff or are we talking about forcing them to share back office services human resources uh, corporate services and all that sort of thing um, you know, what is the point of these many, you know, mental health provider collaboratives have gone a lot further than most. And what they've tried to do is work together to um, reduce uh, to kind of reduce the need for inpatient care and, and to share share inpatient um, beds between each other. So what, you know, is someone going to uh, uh, kind of put a definition on what this is all about or is it going to remain um, a kind of just an easy way to fill chief executive jobs? Yeah, I just I, it's sort of interesting, David. I feel like the policy so far has been very permissive. Um, it's sort of been you know, getting to provider collaboratives, but you can sort of decide what what form that takes. So, yeah, I do wonder if there will be a kind of change from the top. I don't know what you think about it, but um, yeah, thus far it seems it's almost a kind of um, almost organic of letting them develop themselves. Um, and there yes. must be that, that urge at the top to kind of say, no, this is what you need to be doing. 
there's clearly signal going out that they want people to be doing it uh and in the in the in the regions and operational teams they're clearly forcing shared leadership i think they do you know as to exactly to your point they think there are benefits and, and especially when in time when we need to be making big efficiencies they and them thinks there are benefits from collaborating and working together sharing clinical services sharing back offices services also all this stuff but it seems to stop short of um of defining it so very good and i yeah also enjoyed henry your uh caveat to to that prediction um have you got any more yeah i i do um so my next one and we are speaking on the first day of the junior doctors strike um so it's well a controversial one so i think that the junior doctors committee and the government will negotiate some kind of deal next year 2024 um some kind of pay offer I don't think that the junior doctors committee will recommend the deal. I think it will be put to members and I think that the junior doctors will reject the deal. Um, thus kind of, you know, delaying any resolution well into late into 2024. Um, so not a particularly cheery one, um, mm. but I don't get the sense. I think there's too much of a gap between where the government is willing to go and what the junior doctor membership would find acceptable. Interesting. I think I'm going to counter your prediction, Henry. Um, I think that I think that they could accept an offer. I think there's appetite among certainly the junior doctors I've spoken to who are finding the disruption caused by the strikes difficult. It's impacting on training time. I think people just want to get on with their jobs, and no one, you know, no one wants to go on strike. They see the disruption it causes to patients as well. I think I think if if there's an offer that they think is fair and maybe I don't know maybe there's something around we're going to be working towards something a bit of hope for the future perhaps and also the fact that there's almost certainly going to be an election next year um maybe there's hope that a different a different government might take a different stance I don't know I kind of I kind of feel a little bit more hopeful that an agreement might be reached yeah, I did think about this because I, I sort of looking at the offer in Scotland, which was accepted by the juniors and kind of averted the strikes mm. there. And that involved, I think, a sort of pay rise of around, I think, maybe 10 percent roughly. Um, but also a kind of commitment that in future the government would would look to kind of offer pay rises above inflation. I mm. just don't think that a the government in the, the the UK government would, would offer that much and B I'm not even sure that that kind of offer would be acceptable to the, the junior doctors in England because there seems to be such a lack of, of trust and because there was obviously this huge kind of um you know th this huge desire to get full pay pay restoration I don't I think you know that's obviously lessened slightly but I think that there are still significant parts of the kind of junior doctor um, community who still have that original aim and I don't think that they're going to get anywhere near the, the 35 percent they originally asked for. No I do think there are factions that I think there's the the, the leadership of the, the BMA in particular there's, there's the other union the HCSA but the BMA has the the, the biggest proportion of members um, they are obviously pushing for full pay restoration but I think a lot of junior doctors are realists and know that that's not going to happen and that it's going to be an incremental process. And I think that for a lot of members, actually, there is a fair offer on the table looking at 
other other healthcare groups looking at what consultants got, what SAS doctors have been offered, and yeah, as you said, junior doctors in Scotland, I think that they could be compelled to to accept it. I do think that the, that pay is just part of it, though. I I'm, I've always been surprised that other conditions haven't played such a part of the of the um well of some of the strike discussions that the BMA have been public about um you know around kind of just work life yeah work working conditions and training and other things that make the job difficult and I feel like they could have maybe made more of that and taken this opportunity to improve improve more than just pay um but yeah as you said the relation the relationship does seem pretty bad there's something I don't know, even with a new health secretary, they don't seem to have made um, any gains. But I guess it's also, I mean, public opinion might come into it more as well now that mm. everyone is getting strike fatigue. The public may be looking at, you know, consultants and the nurses thinking, well, they've accepted. Why yeah. can't the doctors do this? And obviously, the longer it goes on, the more you hear these stories about long waits and mm. problems for patients, then I just I feel like maybe the support from the public for the junior doctors perhaps is waning a bit because other staffing groups have accepted their their offers. Yeah, I but think that's we, a good point. Yeah, I was, but do we think that the you know that the nurses are going to go a kind of kind of look again at industrial action in 2024 because. There did seem to be quite an, an angry response from the consultants deal. Um, yeah, the RCN have, have, have made their own bed, though, haven't they? Because they, they endorsed the deal, which <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to remember the intricacies of this, but they endorsed the deal, which was then um, accepted by the no, rejected by the membership and then <laughs> it ended up being imposed, imposed, anyway. imposed anyway because of the majority of the Agenda for Change Union supported it. Um, and now, yeah, there will be background when we for 24, uh, for 24, 25 settlement. And they, there was this idea about getting that done early. I don't think there seems to have been uh, no. much success in that. But it, pay discussion will come round again. And so the nurses will have another opportunity to. Yeah, I predict I predict that the RCM will definitely try and reballot again for strike action. But as you said, Nick, I think there's real strike strike fatigue. And um, I mean, maybe. I don't know, maybe depending on um, the strength of feeling of their membership by the time the pay the pay discussions come around again in, in the spring, I think. Could well be. Um, all right. Thank you, Henry. I think perhaps moving on to you now, Dave, you've already chipped in a little bit on the shared chair um, discussion. But what else? What else are your thoughts for next year? All reflections yeah. on, the, on the year just gone, of course. Oh yeah, well, I um, sometimes we look back to our to our uh, last year's um, predictions, and I think I did mention about the return of um, of NHS deficits in a big way, um, uh, which Henry is, um, you know. Has, has covered through the through the year mentioned um, and, and it's sort of fallen on from the COVID period and the using up of all the reserves that were 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 stashed away during COVID. You know that's that's certainly been been realised. Um, uh, I I said that there would be a lot more um, coverage around um, the manager numbers. Um, with Steve Barkley was pretty pretty obsessive about the number of managers and has been pursuing cuts in in NHS England and in um, integrated care boards. Announced a few few months into 2023, announced 30% cuts in um, in integrated care board staff. Um, so that's um, that has played out. But similarly. Um, 
you know, there is a sort of ongoing dis- discussion or view that actually for um, to improve productivity in the NHS and, and to, to, to start hitting performance, you may need more managers certainly doing some things. Um, and it'll be interesting if we do um, uh, have a change of government to, to a Labour government, it'll be interesting what approach they take on that, because there's been some hints from um, from Wes Streeting that he does uh, I think it's a bit silly to have uh, been slashing an integrated care system management just shortly after they've been set up and you know and and, and that um, the, the Labour Party is taking a lot of inspiration from the 2000s when actually managers were NHS managers were a big part of delivering uh, what um, what Labour wanted to, to deliver in terms of performance improvements so there may be a, a change of uh, attack there. Um, uh, I mentioned that the GP contract would be a bigger feature of debate in 2024, um, and it was a bit, um, not not enormously, because they can't really have any kind of big um, change before, um, as I think we discussed on here before, it was really very difficult for a, a government or NHS England to create a new big deal GP contract with, with a, with a, in a general election year of 2024. Um, however, there has been a bit more discussion about it. There's a review of QOF underway. Um, NHS England will have to put some sort of one-year target, a one-year contract in from April coming up and um, uh, and has been talking about signalling some interesting uh, more longer term reforms in there. And we, we also sort of um, foreshadowed the kind of uh, ongoing rows on the BMA um, GP committee side. And they did indeed oust their latest, uh, not their latest ousting of their GP committee chair um, back last summer uh, when they chuck out. Uh, they removed uh, Farah Jamil who was, while she was on maternity leave. Um, so no shortage of, of activity over there. Um, the other thing that really hasn't come true at all um, was um, off the back of the Hewitt review that was ongoing last this time last year, there was this idea that CQC would have a very different role and I kind of thought that it might be a sort of make or break year for the CQC either sort of discovering its uh, newly kind of empowered um, self in a role with systems and Jeremy Hunt who's a big supporter being Chancellor kind of getting behind that uh, but actually the review I mean quite rightly sort of sat on the fence about what the CQC's role should really be um, and um, so so in the CQC area it's kind of more sort of uh, a, a rumbling on rather than a kind of a big revolution over there um, but for this year um, I would um, I think predict something about um, manager regulation of managers rather than numbers because there's been a bit of a since the Lucy Letby case in um, in August September uh, Lucy Letby verdict there's been a big um, leap uh, to uh, among politicians and indeed NHS England to suggest that they think regulation of managers, much more formal regulation of managers um, would be a good idea. And, um, you know, where Streeting has been pretty clear that he would want to do something in that area, as has um, the, the as was the former health secretary, Steve Barclay. I think my prediction will be that actually if this, in as far as this is discussed through 2024, there'll probably be a much more sort of um, kind of reversion to the mean, um, sort of gravity pulling 
health policy back to where it normally is on manager regulation that it's not really worth the um the benefits that you might get from it are not really worth the uh the the, the effort and legislation and complexity of, of going through it um you know it's a risky prediction because you know as I said, all those people have said they do want it and i think a lot of people are convinced that actually this time it will be um the time when 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 this happens you know whether it's 2024 or 25 or 26 when they actually get to legislate but i still think that um once people look into the the detail of this they'll get back to much more you know there may be some i'm sure there'll be some changes to the policy but it might be much more about um you know how do we put an extra support and definition of what um management roles are and leadership development and um you know perhaps a tighter sort of solution to the fit and proper person test and things like that but um but i don't think we'll go the whole hog with full statutory regulation uh, no, I, I, think I agree with that, actually, area. Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think tightening the F, um, fit and proper person test is probably more likely than full regulation. But it might also depend on other stories that break over the next year. I don't know. And kind of how that changes the mood a bit. Yeah, whether there's a um, whether there's a the head of steam kind of keeps keeps going for that um but you know when they come down to what they what they and what West Streeting and fairness has, has said is that you need to make this about um developing a sort of the definition of what nhs management and leadership is and a kind of cadre of, of that and it all, it all sort of and that's very much where nhs leaders will be and we we want this because we think it will help us um define our role and grow our sort of develop as a profession um as well as developing building public confidence and stuff like that but um but I think it all gets quite complex and expensive then. And, you know, is anyone yeah. looking for expensive, complex things to do, which also require legislation? I don't know. Um, and then um, another prediction I would make, you know, we have to talk about, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the strikes and the impact they're uh, going to be having on performance um, and, and services this this uh, winter. But I think we need to talk about um, performance of, of the NHS more generally and um i think i would uh again predict you know perhaps um more in hope than than definitive expectation but i think this winter will actually despite these strikes and despite what we've seen really tight uh to poor handover uh delays um ambulance handover delays to a and e's last week which which look sort of just as bad as last winter which was of course by far the last worst winter performance on record i think actually this year will overall um, manage to be a slight improvement on on last year uh which is still you know that's not having any illusions still really uh uh difficult and poor um poor waiting times and responses in emergency care um but will actually represent um you know hopefully will represent the beginning of a slow emergence from the all the kind of um problems which have been uh brought brought on these services after in the wake of covid i mean they were you know, so they were also pretty bad before covid and there's no there's no easy or uh you know quick path back to properly decent performance um but but i do think this winter might be the beginning of a sort of a, a sort of slight turnaround and and obviously hope that it is if only because last winter had an absolutely enormous flu wave which caused huge huge problems and um and and, and that so far that hasn't manifested this year um, and I think because things like, you know, length of stay has slightly improved some of the sort of gumming up of the system, staff absences and things which were caused in the wake of, of, the, of the worst of COVID have, are now slowly, gradually coming out. Um, I would, there's one other uh, sort of slight 
uh, a kind of financial uh, wintry prediction that I would make a prediction not for 2024 but for winter 2025-26 so I think that is when um, getting ahead of yourself of, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, in case you don't invite me back next year the um that is when you know the incoming having income a uh, Labour government will take a you know a, a year to two years to realize that actually they can't turn this ship around properly without uh, without significant spending and investment of resources and so after uh, you know sticking to their uh, no more money um, uh, reform 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 mantra for a, a sort of year or so um, I think that that come uh, winter in, t- in two winters time that's when when the realization will strike that um, actually they need to they need to find the money one way or another and start trying to turn things around before the following the next election. Oh, I was going to say on performance as well, that I think the current government will get in, in more of the, uh, uh, the time frame you were looking for, Annabelle. In, in the new year, I think the current government will get back to their sort of attempts to bring the elective waiting list down, which was their the, the prime minister's um, the prime minister's target for 2023, uh, which in it really failed to do, although it came down slightly in the last month's figures. It's not down since the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, and they're blaming strikes. It's not really primarily or entirely to do with strikes, but it is. Um, but I and, and the government's been dialing down on that a bit. But I think they'll get back to it in 2024 and try and have a run on um, reducing the overall waiting list by the time of the general election. Whereas actually the NHS, NHS England, and NHS some of the NHS leadership are, are, are more keen on focusing on getting those very long waiters down and maybe a bit frustrated by the government trying to get back to getting obsessive about. The, uh, the overall list yeah is that going to be like if the government manages to reduce the number the, the, the waiting list in its totality from when that pledge was launched they will still declare it a success even if the actual all the targets in the elective recovery plan you know 104 78 52 65 they'll all have practically been missed won't they by you know that 65 will as long as 78 they'll still declare it a success even though every target so far has been missed in the yeah i mean i think they feel they virtually uh in henry's term they virtually hit uh some of the target the the longest targets didn't they and um there are still 104 weights in devon and cornwall devon and cornwall yeah you can't uh claim in devon and cornwall it's going to be all lib them down there isn't it but the um (laughs) the um uh, there have been you know via by want of a huge focus on the longest waiters there have been big reductions but yeah it looks like they'll miss the next uh target for that in, in march april um and but as you say as as, as any sort of politically they will be trying to claim claim whatever successes they can indeed including if the winter uh, performance is, is just a bit better then you know the, the the narrative could be that there's some sort of slight recovery underway from covid even though you know it's a very very slow one if there is well david bumper year for you last year um nick did you have the same success with your prediction i had the opposite so <laughs> i uh, need to borrow dave's crystal ball I I mean, I predicted to my shame that the federated data platform, uh, which hopefully regular listeners of the podcast will be well aware, would not be awarded to Palantir for various reasons. Um, and that, that prediction turned out to not be correct. Um, last month, it was awarded to Palantir. So I advise listeners to take what I'm about to say with a strong pinch of salt. Although the year before that, I did actually do quite well. So I suppose I was due um, a bad year. But oh, yeah. um, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, for tech, it was a, I think the best word to describe it was probably turbulent. Um, you know, ever since mm. 2020, the pan, you know, the start of the pandemic, we've kind of got into every year thinking, you know, is this going to be tech's year? Is this going to be, you know, finally the time when um, we kind of capitalize on on some of that great mindset change um, from from the pandemic? And there's always that optimism, but then, you know, it's sort of a similar story this year as well. Um, you know, there's been lots of uh, departures from uh, the leadership roles in terms of the tech community at the national level, because obviously merger of um, Energis Digital into Energis England, which happened right at the start of this year. Um, we had Tim Ferriss, uh, Energis England's kind of tech chief, leaving as well um, halfway through the year. And then we had, again, what seems to happen most years, um, which Henry reported a lot on, uh, the fact that the tech budgets um, kept being trimmed back and trimmed back for, for more sort of operational priorities. So it wasn't really a great year for tech. Um, and I, but I think, <laughs> true to form, I'll, I'll go into the, this coming year with that sense of optimism that I say happens every year. Obviously, uh, the main talking point probably will be still the federated data platform, which is now going to be implemented. And obviously, there's a lot of concerns locally and uncertainty about how, whether or not that will work. Um, that's not necessarily the reason to be optimistic. I'm predicting that it will be quite a big year for data in particular, because I think Labour will uh, win the election. Uh, and obviously, we've heard quite a bit from West Streeting recently in his various media interviews about um, the need for the NHS to use the resource it has and the role that tech has to play there. He obviously went out to Asia recently and saw some of the, the very high-tech hospitals out in, in Singapore. And um, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Matt Hancock in terms of his kind of lauding of, of what tech can do. It's what he needs. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think with him being health secretary which i think he will be there will be a renewed focus on the role of tech which i don't think we've had under really under steve barkley and i, I don't it's very early obviously for victoria atkins but i haven't seen anything from her either really about it so it, i think west streeting's likely uh, uh sort of arrival uh, as health secretary means that there could be a bit of a uh, a blossoming of of tech prospects again at least that's the hope i suppose for for many in the in the tech community um so that's kind of the, the tech outlook for me uh for the year ahead do you do you think it will be a kind of uh, sort of re difference in rhetoric and sort of emphasis only or do you think they will actually you know be followed up with with money really because it does seem like they, they are stuck in this pattern of no matter what the warm words are from the top that is always the first thing to go when money is tight and kind of labor and not uh, very much suggesting that the money will still be tight yeah i mean it's difficult to say i i don't there's not going to be a huge injection maybe tech budgets will be a bit more protected next year than they have been um you know especially if as dave says performance maybe isn't quite as bad as it has been uh you know this this year so i mean when i read west reading the interviews about you know his thoughts on the tech side of things it, he was saying 
um, the right things. But I think of where he is going to maybe fall down a bit on that is that it's it's so difficult to do, even though it sounds quite easy, um, you know, to get these processes in place, to get the data flowing between GPs and hospitals. And that's why I say it's going to be a big year for data. It needs to be um, because there's a lot of issues that need to be ironed out. You know, he's talked, Streeting has talked about, you know, bypassing, well, by, sort of patients bypassing GPs to be referred directly into to specialists all that's going to need good data flows um he needs to get that that sort of plumbing right but it's exceptionally difficult to do it's very hard to implement even you know when they were last in power when there was a huge growth loads of managers to go around and implement this stuff huge margins of improving performance to to kind of shadow uh to kind of mask any difficulties of implementation but now you're kind of trying to implement big systems when it's going to sort of distract all the managers from trying to get through the next um, few weeks of a uh, few months of winter or a difficult elective lists and crashing the waiting lists as it has in the southeast over the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, they say implementation um, and the kind of even if they might find the capital because he does they do seem more intent on this, um, you know, uh, point that's been made that, that spending capital to improve productivity uh, is as a kind of one-off spend is a, is a more sense is a sensible thing to do but it doesn't, it doesn't just take capital does it? it takes loads of people to kind of come and implement it, it and run it and to pay for it the year after year after year yeah yeah it's, it's a painful say. process i'm not sure he's fully appreciated that yet but who knows all right any more predictions from Munich? Well, just a quick one, a sort of local one, but with national um, implications. Uh, I will predict, and this maybe is slightly, uh, maybe slightly early, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I'll predict that we will see the first uh, real step towards ICB mergers um, in the southwest. Uh, in Cornwall and Devon, uh, I think we're going to see some kind of shared leadership uh, across the ICB um, or certainly the, the start of that happening um, probably by the end of, of the coming year. So that I think I'm right in saying would be the first uh, ICBs to actually share leadership, share leadership. I know Henry predicted the trust side, but I'll, I'll go one step further and say it's going to happen in the commissioning space as well. And Cornwall and Devon have been looking at uh, various ways in which they can become more efficient as organisations. They're both a little bit similar in terms of had long-standing financial problems. They've, they've had acute providers that have got quite um, poor uh, performance. Uh, they're not, I mean, Cornwall's a relatively small ICS. Devon is more kind of um, is a bit, bit bigger, but um, merging them, uh, if that's what it would lead to in the end, would still, you know, it wouldn't be the biggest I ICB uh, in the country. Um, there's, you know, a provider collaborative with uh, all Cornwall and Devon's acute providers in. So I feel like there is, uh, if I was a betting man on where the first ICB merger happens, it's going to be in, in, in the southwest and maybe Cornwall and Devon is my, my top prediction there. And yeah, although it won't be maybe announced next year, I can just I can just see there being some shake up of the leadership down there next year, which is kind of another step on the ladder towards merger. Interesting. I wonder what you think about that, Dave, as our integration. ICB expert. correspondent. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely still a lot of talk about um, mergers and um, there's definitely still a lot of frustration about the fact that the system doesn't really seem to make sense. And there's such variation between the southwest and parts of the Midlands and some parts of the southeast versus the huge, um, you know, three million, two million, one million population ICS is in the the north um, of England. Um, So it's definitely in in the air. Um, I mean, I don't. At the minute, there's no like formal moves to do it, and the you know the Devon's just uh, recruited a, a permanent person, haven't they? Um, mm. But yeah, I think and I think the what the sort of Labour position on it, and um, to be honest, a lot of what we've been saying about Labour would probably apply to a new, if on the sort of you know if you, the polls unlikely event, but if there is a different government, then all of a sudden a lot of this would apply anyway. Um, I, I think um, the but on the on the labour side, you know, I think they've said, well, we won't have a reorganisation, so we're not going to kind of come and abolish or any NHS organisations. Um, that doesn't mean they couldn't sort of speed up, but I think they have said they want to kind of tidy up relationships, um, you know, and 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 try to simplify things and create more space for ICSs to kind of do their job, as opposed to the kind of behemoth NHS England kind of still constantly dominating. Um, the agenda and 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 the department to some extent, but NHS England in particular kind of uh, ICSs feel that it stymies their ability to do anything by being so huge. So there is an argument where they say, well, okay, well we're going to turn ICSs properly into a kind of substantial, um, you know, system leader, system performance manager, system manager. Uh, as some people believe they should be. And in order to do that, yeah, they would need to be bigger. You know, if you're going to manage that, I mean, we talked about provider collaboratives and groups, and this is all plays into it. I mean, nobody's many, many people involved with all this. I have no idea who's meant to make decisions about what, how it's meant to work. And, you know, if you can have a sort of provider collaborative across Devon and Cornwall, which pretty seems quite likely, then why on earth would you have sort of uh, commissioning ICBs, which are which are smaller than your sort of provider collaboratives? You've got that in Cornwall, you know, it's practically a one-to-one relationship with the, what it is one-to-one relationship with the ICB and the acute trust. I think they talked about merging the acute and the mental health at one point, did you? And you've got in yeah. other parts of the, you know, we've talked before, I think, on, on here and, and uh, IRL Nick about um, Somerset where there's like one trust and one ICB I mean it's that 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 doesn't really make a great deal of sense and there's some cases of that in the Midlands as well but you know we talk all day about this not making sense I mean, there's a lot of people also who would say like look just leave this alone what you need to be doing is like retaining staff um, recruiting staff developing new roles trying to uh, you know improve um, care of people in the community fix social care if you've got any money put in social care so there's a lot of reasons why they'd people will push back against this but equally um, there could well be a move to, to simplify things and that could include mm. merging ICSs, ICBs. I note that uh, you mentioned Devin's new CEO, Devin ICB's new CEO. He's one of his former jobs from May 2011 to March 2013. Uh, sorry, April 2013 to September 2013 was he was director of Energy England for Devon, Cornwall and Aldo Silly. So he has held leadership role across Yes. To uh, counties already. Yes, so I did. Just going to throw that point. in there. And so. he's and he's just had a little break in Wales where there's yeah. a, where there's a very integrated uh, sort of uh, single um, single commissioner provider system, isn't he? So there's a, but it was, and also worked in Plymouth, I think, hospital. Is that right? Where uh, I mean, that is, you know, one thing that we can say right now without having to use our crystal balls about 
that area is the performance is just absolute nightmare isn't it i mean um yeah in the last three winters for for plymouth especially but also um cornwall and gloucestershire hospitals it's like it's just the real and they didn't used to be that terrible before covid but it's just really gone off a cliff no just just uh just to follow up on the the wales comment dave which made me think um you know your comments about labour and nhs england um and trying to you know maybe a they sort of you sort of get the sense that maybe they don't want NHS England to be so so powerful. But if, if you're coming in as you know uh, from opposition into government, um, you probably want to think if you're the new Secretary of State for Health and Social Care that when you pull a lever, something will happen. Um, and in places like Wales and Scotland, the government has a much di- much more direct line of sight into the NHS. Um, yes. Whereas, you can be yeah, torn, so, aren't they, between wanting to pull the levers and this, you know, uh, claiming that they wish to give more autonomy. But, um, you know, by saying we will simplify the system and actually try and understand what ICS is, ICBs are actually meant to do, then that would possibly uh, enable them to feel they have more of a lever um, while leaving them to do what they feel they need to do to implement stuff locally. But why where, where do you think that will lead to that will lead to? Um, more centralization Henry? Well I sort of think they could have it both ways really because they could you know you, you can sort of envisage like NHS England being substantially trimmed back and the ICBs given more power but then yeah, now they're answering exactly. more directly to the Department of Health so from you know if you're Labour then that's that's quite useful um, and you can kind of make both arguments because there's probably less central control from NHS England um, but when the department does want to make something happen, it can go directly to the ICBs, which, you know, in some cases they, they do already on a less sort of formalised basis. Yeah. I like that prediction, Nick. I, I think it's a bit of a wild card, but be interesting yes. to see if it pays off. And I like you've you've broken with tradition this year and not brought up the new hospital programme. Sorry, saying... sorry for dredging up, um, you know. I'm staying well clear of it, having failed on my predictions there in the past. Been have there been any nails so. in the wall yet? I think that was what you said last year. There I think there, be have been, the there have been nails in the walls of the enabling works to <laughs> kind of prepare for the actual <laughs> new hospitals being built. So that, obviously that's what I was referring to at the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I suppose I'm not quite sure what the latest is, but I don't think it's been uh, moving too fast. No. All right. Well, thanks very much for all your great predictions. Um, I think that that brings a podcast to a close this week. And I just want to thank listeners for all your support over the last year. And just to say, do get in touch as ever with any thoughts or ideas for future episodes of the podcast. And we'll be back with you in the new year. Mm